Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. family. Good morning. It's good to be here and good to see some folks returning from holidays. And uh, I'm hoping the others from the holidays also will start coming back. That'll be wonderful. It's good to be here. I must tell you that this passage was, uh, it took a little bit of time for me to figure out what message that we can draw from this. So I was wrestling with this, with this, with this passage. And uh, And I have come up with this title, Where Do You Belong? Where Do You Belong? So I want us to pay close attention to this because it really convicted me as I I went through this uh, passage. And and I hope and pray that it will do the same to each one of you. So turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 18. And we'll be looking at verses 28 to 40 as was read this morning. So we are getting into a passage that records the last intimate personal conversation that Jesus had with another individual before he was crucified. And in this exchange between the Lord Jesus Christ and the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, we see two men with opposing agendas. Pilate comes across as one who is agitated and having been placed in the middle of what he sees as a religious dispute between Jews. His sarcasm and his short answers reveal his irritation. Now Jesus, on the other hand, uses this conversation to reveal his true identity to Pilate. So Pilate asks a simple question, if he is really the king of the Jews, and Jesus was bold and responds in, his, in the affirmative, you can see this, he says, Jesus answered, you say rightly, that I am a king, that I am a king. So church, if Jesus says that he is a king, then there must be a kingdom. Won't you agree with that? If there's a king, there must be a kingdom. The main focus of our text today is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. The king, can everybody say kingdom of Jesus Christ? So, Our Lord says a few things about the nature of this kingdom that should prove very helpful for us this morning. So here in this text, I see two kingdoms that are in opposition to each other. We see two authorities. You see man's authority and God's authority. We see the hypocrisy of mankind and the truth of God. Now, every one of us who are seated here, we belong to one of those kingdoms. We belong to one of them. We come under one of those authorities. The question this morning is, we should ask ourselves, where do I belong? Where do I belong? Now, that church would determine your eternal destiny. That will determine your eternal destiny. Obviously, we want to belong to the kingdom with the king of kings. How many of you would like to belong to the kingdom with the king of kings? Put your hands up. 
Yes, all of us. We all want to. But we may genuinely think that we do, and we can be fooled. The truth will only be known, church, when we take our last breath on this side of eternity, and then it is too late. It is too late at that time. So this morning, as we scan through this narrative, I want all of us to allow the Holy Spirit to transform our lives to become citizens who belong to the kingdom with our King of Kings. So shall you pray. Father in heaven, you have brought us together this morning that we may hear your words and so that we may learn to fear you all the days of our lives. And not only that, that we may also teach our children. So we pray that you break us, mold us, and make us into the people that you want us to be. Amen. Church, in this text, which you heard being read, I see there are three characters. We see Pilate, we see Jews, and when we see the Lord Jesus Christ. To understand the context, let me tell you a little bit about Pilate. Emperor Tiberius in AD 26 gave Pilate the governor's role. So Pilate was in charge of the Roman government in Jerusalem. He had the control over human judgment and he alone had the authority to pass a capital punishment. So first century historian Josephus portrays a good picture of this Pilate. Pilate was not the best of politicians. He wasn't good at keeping the peace, especially when it came to the Jews. There are at least three times when the Jews went to the emperor and complained against Pilate. The first was when Pilate took office and all he did was he brought and set up pagan gods in the city, in the surrounding of Jerusalem. So this caused a big issue with the Jews and what they did was they went on a strike, a sit-down strike. It lasted for about five days. So everything was shut down in Jerusalem and then Rome had to intercede. And Pilate was forced to remove all the statues and the Jews had won. The second time that he was in the bad books was he stole money, according to Josephus, he stole money from the temple treasury to finance the building of an aqueduct in Jerusalem. So when the Jews protested, hear me out, Pilate ordered large number of soldiers in dress in civ as civilians to surround the crowd that continued to protest. And what they did was they clubbed to death both Jewish protesters and also those not involved in the riots. Thirdly, we see that in the book of Luke, this is a time when Pilate had a small band of soldiers to take revenge on the Galileans. He did so right in the temple, in the midst of their sacrificing the animals. When you read the book of Luke chapter 13, a group of Galileans has come to the temple to sacrifice, and Pontius Pilate slaughtered them, slaughtered them. Probably due to the public disturbance the Galileans were causing. So all these confrontations, church, 
between Pilate and Jews did not sit well with Emperor Tiberius. So Pilate earned a bad name already. So basically, Pilate had to, what he has to do now is to stay out of the Jewish life. So he doesn't cause another chaos. So for all intents and purposes, Pilate and the Jews did not get along well. It's important for us to understand that context as we dive into this passage. The second character that we see in the narrative is the, are the Jews. Now you see that the irony that the very same Pilate that Jews had problems with is now being manipulated by the Jews to get what they want, which is the murder of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you can clearly see the, the religiosity of the Jews. All these players have own agendas. They have their own kingdoms. And, and look at the Jews. They, the Jews like the world that the way it was. They have their own kingdom. In their kingdom, they expected a king who would overthrow the Rome, free them from the op opposition, and establish their own monarchy on earth. But Jesus did not fit into that box. For the Jews, Jesus was only causing a division within. He is not whom they expected to be. So they wanted to get rid of him, to kill him. Look at Pilate. He has a job to keep and his job security has been running thin or lately. So he is not going to ruffle any feathers. He may want to appease the, pe appease the Jews to find favor with the emperor. Then we see the real kingdom, which is God's kingdom, not of this world. And all collide, and the result is what? A sinless savior crucified. A sinless savior crucified, just like the murderer. That's what it took to accomplish the crucifixion of Jesus. So with this intro, let's dive into the scripture for this morning. And I'm going to bring back verse 28. Then they led Jesus, they meaning the Jews, led Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium, which is the palace of the governor. Come along with me, please. And it was early morning. So they are bringing Jesus to the palace. But they, again, who? The Jews themselves did not go into the praetorium. Why didn't they go? And the answer is given there, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. So what is Pilate doing now? Let's look at the next verse, verse number 29. So Pilate then went out to them because they were not coming in and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? So what do we see here, church? Jesus is brought to the palace of the Roman governor. The Jews did not enter into the palace of the governor. Why? Because this is the palace of a Gentile. They cannot enter. Why didn't they enter? Because their entry would defile them. Then they cannot eat the Passover. So the pilot had to come out, ask for the crime Jesus committed. Church, I want you to note something here. 
only the Romans, as I said, they had the authority to pronounce and enact a capital punishment. Only the Romans could do it. That is why the Sanhedrin, if you look at a different gospel, gospel of Mark and, and the other synoptic gospels, after deciding on their own that Jesus was worthy of death, because they cannot pass the death judgment on Jesus, they brought him to Pontius Pilate. The Jewish authorities wanted Jesus executed for what? For blasphemy. For blasphemy. But such a charge means nothing to the Romans. So apparently the charge brought to Pilate was that Jesus claimed to, claimed to be the king of the Jews. The Sanhedrin knew how to draw the attention of the Pilate. So see what accusation the Sanhedrin told the Pilate when he brought Jesus. Look at verse number 30. He did not talk about the issues they have in a religious setting, but he came to, brought Jesus to Pilate and they said, they answered and said to him, he, if he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. So Jesus was framed here as an evil doer. The NIV translation calls it a criminal. Now if it is a criminal, then of course Pilate can judge him. So in other words, what you're seeing is the Jews are implying that this is not a religious issue. This is a political issue committed against Rome. Therefore, only you, Mr. Pilate, can resolve this problem. So before Pilate, the Sanhedrin accused Jesus of treason, attempting to overthrow or displace the Roman Caesar. What a cunning scheme. What a cunning scheme. That was a charge Pilate would have interest in hearing for sure. The word treason is used, uh -uh, I need to know who you are. What are you doing against my government? But Jesus did not deny his kingship. Interesting. But when Pilate realized it was more a religious issue and not a political issue, he tells them, look at verse 31. Then Pilate said to them, you take him and judge him according to your law. So in other words, from this we can take that at that point of time, Pilate was has concluded within himself, this, this man, Jesus, is not a criminal, according to the Roman laws. So Pilate strongly felt that this is an internal religious issue. Solve it among yourselves. The Roman rule does not permit me to get involved in a local religious matter. I'm already in the bad books of the governor, of the emperor. And I'm not going to get my feet wet again. So let us read on. 31, the second part of it. Therefore, the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. The Jews are not going to get away. I, we hear what you are telling, Mr. Pilate, but let me tell you, this guy deserved to be put to death. We cannot do it. The law does not permit us. You got to do it. 
So they have already decided that Jesus must be put to death. What cause is that for blasphemy? Because he claimed to be the Messiah. He claimed to be the Son of God. But we don't have the power to pass death sentence. Then see what happens in verse 32. Beautiful. How the Holy Spirit intertwines these things. Look at verse 32. This is Apostle John who is writing this gospel, injecting this interesting statement in between. It's not part of the narrative. Look at this. It's a divine plan. Look at this. That the saying of Jesus Christ might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by, by what death he would die. So what you're seeing here is the divine plan of God of eternity past for the redemption of mankind is coming to pass. And the Lord is using what such wicked, wickedness of Pilate and the Jews for his glory. Isn't it very powerful? It is. So what do we learn from this? Here we see a kingdom without a king. Here we see what a religion without faith in God looks like. The Jews were extremely religious. But because they had no real faith, because God was not their king, they could simply pick and choose what laws to obey and what laws to disobey. Look with me, church. This is what a religion without faith looks like. In our text, John writes that the Jews who led Jesus to Pilate's home, to the praetorium, they would not enter themselves, come along with me, because they did not wish to defile themselves. That's the law that they want to keep by entering into the home of a Gentile. But think about this, a religion without religion that says that they could not murder because it, it suited their needs, while at the same time, they wouldn't go into Pilate's residence because they would become defiled. You can murder somebody, but I will not go into the house of Pilate because that will defile me. When it defiles me, I can't have my Passover. Interesting, isn't it? Do you see how twisted man's religion can get? Murder is okay. It wouldn't defile them. But stepping into the Pilate's house would defile them. What, you, what, we, what do we see in these Jews? We see they have a religion without faith. We have, they have a kingdom without a king. Church, if we can examine ourselves, we too can identify with these Jews. We too have a religion without faith. We too have a kingdom without a king. You ask, how do you say that, pastor? There are so-called Christians who fall into this category. It could be you, it could be me. There are those, their thoughts are, as long as I can mark my attendance on Sundays, I am through. I am free to do whatever I want to do during the week. There are those who might think, as long as I can give my 10% tithing, 
I've settled my obligation. There are those who might think, if only I can get baptized and go into the water and come out, doesn't matter what my lifestyle is, I'm okay and I'm sure of a place in heaven. These ritualistic activities are done to convince the doer themselves, ourselves, that we are true believers. And also, these acts as a way to commit a fraud. I'm using the word fraud here because it is done to appease others. To those looking on that we are pious. And we are good Christians. Very hypocritical. Very hypocritical. Jesus spoke of them with this parable. We all know this parable in the book of Luke. And he spoke about a Pharisee who came to the temple. This was his prayer. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Let me ask you, church. In the eyes of the Lord, would you appear to be like this Pharisee? Ask yourself. The Lord has a warning about this for all of us. I want to show you, here's God's assessment of a religion without faith. Follow with me as I slowly read a passage from the book of Isaiah. This is a message to those of us who have a kingdom without a king. Those of us who have a religion without faith. This is what the Lord is saying to us this morning. Come along with me. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 11. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? What are they to me? Says the Lord. I am more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. Look at verse number 12. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you? The Lord is telling us this trembling of my coats. If you are a person without God, that's how God sees you. Verse number 13, a clear warning. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons and Sabbaths and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Wow, powerful. Verse 14. Our new moon feasts, your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. Look at verse 15. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Wow, I don't know about you. I'm getting goosebumps as I read this. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Verse number 16. Wash and make yourselves clean. 
Take your evil deeds out of my st sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widows. Do you see yourself in this narrative? Don't put your hands up. Is the Lord speaking to you today? Are you convicted? Examine yourself, church. Be honest. Where do I belong? Do I belong to this kingdom without a king? Do I have a religion without faith? And here is the appeal from the Lord. If that is the case, the Lord is giving us a chance here. Here's the appeal. To you and to me and to those who belong to a kingdom without a king. Look at verse number 18. Come now. Let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they, are, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Even if there is an iota of doubt, the Lord is saying, respond to his calling. Today is the day, church. Today is the day to repent. We need to come to him this morning, say to him, here I am, God. My sins are like scarlet. Cleanse it, God. Make it as white as snow. They are, red, they are like crimson. Turn them like wool. May this be our cry this morning, church. So we looked at the kingdom without a king. Now we'll examine a kingdom with the king of kings. How does that look like? That's the two contrasts. Where do I belong? Do you belong to this kingdom? Or let's go and see what the other kingdom looks like. Verse number 33. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? So Pilate and Jesus walked back inside the praetorium, leaving the Jews outside. The charges were that Jesus claimed to be the king and the synoptic gospels, as you read the other gospels, they tell us there's one more accusation that was, that was brought against Jesus, that he was telling the Jews not to pay taxes to Caesar. Have you heard that? Yes, in the gospels? That is a problem for Pilate. So he just wants to eliminate any of those accusations but we know that was completely false. So Pilate was interested in those charges to determine if they were true or not. The last thing he needed was an insurgent you know, growing up in Jesus, rebelling or plotting against Rome. By asking Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Look at verse 33 that we are just looking at. He was asking if Jesus was pleading guilty to insurrection, whether he's a, he's a rebel against the Rome which was a serious crime in Roman-occupied territories. Church, what's important to note here is Jesus now begins to ask questions of Pilate. He's not responding. He said, you can say, sorry, it's my wording. You can say whatever you want to say. Now, let me ask you some questions here. See verse 34. Jesus answered, it's not actually an answer. It's a question. Interesting, isn't it? Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? What Jesus is getting at is this. If Pilate is asking on his own, then he has in mind a political king. Isn't it? 
If it is just coming from you, you think that I'm a political king who would possibly be a threat to him and to the Roman rule. However, if he's asking because the Jews had said, then that Jesus was claiming to be a king, then he would have in mind the king of the Jews. If it was the former, the answer is, no, I'm not a political king. If it is the latter, the answer is a resounding yes. Church, listen. Jesus is the king of the Jews. He is the long-awaited Messiah. He is the king from the line of David. He would sit on the Davidic throne forever. Jesus cannot simply answer yes or no. He is a king, but not like Pilate was thinking. Look at Jesus' response in verse number 36. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. Come along very carefully. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. There's, there's a whole lot of wealthy things that Jesus is speaking here. Our Lord's kingdom is not, on, not an earthly kingdom. Is not a physical kingdom, but a spiritual kingdom. Jesus says, if I'm referring to an earthly kingdom, and if that is true, by now there would be a big legion of army or a detachment of troops would be at the doorstep to rescue me right now. Jesus says in verse 36, look at verse 36 there, my kingdom is not of this world. Here is the crux of today's message. Jesus tells Pilate there are two kingdoms. There's a kingdom of the world that is a kingdom without the king. And there is kingdom of, the, of God, which is a kingdom with the king of kings. So if you really examine the kingdom of the world, actually it's governed by three laws. One philosopher puts it so beautifully, so this is, uh, I found this very interesting for us to, for us to go through this very quickly. The kingdom of the world is governed by three laws. The law of pragmatism, the law of relativism, and the law of inclusivism. The law of pragmatism says that if it works, feels good, then don't do it. Then do it. If it feels good, what? Do it. You have heard that people saying that, isn't it? For example, church, if stealing or murder accomplishes your goals, then that must be okay. If the pregnancy is a bother, then murdering the unborn baby is okay. We call it the mother's choice. We call evil good and good evil. That's the law of pragmatism. Then the law of relativism says that there is no all-encompassing truth that is the same for everyone for all the time. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. Even if they are diametrically opposed to each other, in a world of relativism, they both are equally valid. They bear the same weight. Then there is the law of, inclu law of inclusivism. It says that all religions are equally valid. Everything. All beliefs and religions are going to lead in the end to the same place and all worship the same God. And Apostle John, the very 
apostle who wrote this gospel, he gives us a very stern warning in his first epistles. Look at this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, that is what those three laws really comes to. Is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with his desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Talking about his kingdom, Jesus says two things here. My kingdom, if you go back to verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. That's the first thing he's saying. Second thing he's saying, my kingdom is not from here. Implying, church, that my kingdom is far greater, far bigger than what you see. In fact, we read in the Matthew Gospel, Jesus talked to the disciples at the very end before he was, he was, he was taken away. He said, all, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We should not attribute or we should not say the kingdom, God is only a king of heaven. This says that his kingdom encompasses the physical, the earthly, and the spiritual, the heavenly realm of this universe. Having spoken about his kingdom, now Jesus goes on to say, who and what governs that kingdom? In other words, if you belong to the, this king, this kingdom, you would be governed by these factors. Let us see what they are. Verse number 37. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king? Then Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So Jesus says one key thing that governs the kingdom with the king of kings is truth. Everybody said truth. Truth. He says that I should bear witness to the truth. I was born to reveal the truth. I came into this world for the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So obviously it begs the question, what on earth is the truth? What is this truth? And that's the same question that Pilate asked. I'm sure you would have been confused. What on earth is this truth? Tell me, Jesus. But sadly, he didn't hear the response. At least John did not write it down properly on this. What we are seeing is that when he had said this, he asked a question. He didn't wait for the answer. He went out again to the Jews and said to him, I find no fault in him at all. For me, Pilate lost a wonderful opportunity to know the truth. For Jesus, truth is not something to be manipulated and twisted like the world does. But he came to reveal the truth. And the kingdom is governed by that truth. So what is the truth? Jesus even prayed that God's truth would sanctify us or make us holy and set us apart from the world. 
Church, we are talking about the factors that governs those who belong to the kingdom with the king of kings. And Jesus says, it's the truth. So look here, church. In verse, in John chapter 17, we looked at a few couple of weeks ago. We read that sanctify them in the truth. And then he goes on to say what the truth is. Can we read that together? Your word is truth. Not that church, Jesus did not say that your word is true. That's not what he's saying. Jesus says here that the, God's word is not simply true, but it is the truth itself. So the word of God is the standard of truth. It is the essence of truth. And that is what truth is. That is what, that is what Jesus came to accomplish Namely, to make God known to the world through God's word and making known the truth. That is why when we read the Bible, we must completely believe it. That is the truth. Even if things are that are more difficult to swallow, when we read it and struggle with a certain truth, we must realize, church, that we are the ones off in our reasoning. It's not God. Growing up as a believer, when I see something in the scriptures, and I, and you know, I was more looking at the scriptures from an academic point of view. Sometimes when I thought that there was a flaw, I was like shouting, Eureka, I found a mistake. It was the spirit that has to knock me down to the ground that I couldn't get up and realize this is the truth. How do you challenge it? Do you want to challenge gravity? Please, go up to the top and just leap down. Then you'll know what gravity is all about. That is the truth. God's word is perfect and authoritative and absolutely 100% truth. So in the kingdom, with the king of kings, we are governed by that truth. Based on what we saw in, in this passage, the word is the truth. You are governed by this truth and truth alone, not the opinions of men. Not the meditation of great philosophers, not the teachings of great religious leaders, but the Bible is the final word in all manners of life. In his pages, church, we learn about God, the creation of man, about sin, about salvation, about good, about evil, the family, etc. If that foundation is destroyed, then there is no basis for the truth. And if there is no truth, then everybody is right and nobody is wrong. Thank God we can trust the Bible. So if you belong to the kingdom with the king of kings, you are governed by his word. So let me ask you a question here. What role does the word of God play in your life? In your life, individual's life. If you claim to belong to the kingdom with the king of God, king of kings, the word of God must have some influence in your daily life. I'm going to underline the word daily. Is scripture the manual that you go to for life's directions and decisions. The scripture gives you the troubleshooting tips of life. The scripture govern your life. Your answer will tell you if you indeed belong to the kingdom with the king of kings. 
So first governing factor of the truth is the scripture, which is the truth. The second governing factor for those belonging to the kingdom with the king of kings is the savior himself. Savior himself. Jesus plainly calls attention to the fact that he and he alone is the real deal. Jesus was and is the embodiment of truth. And John says that, you can look at it in John chapter 1 verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who is he referring to? Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Jesus. And we beheld his glory, and the glory as of the one, as the only begotten of the Father, and read with me please, full of grace and truth. Who is he referring to? Jesus. Look at verse number 17, same chapter. For the law was given through Moses, but what? Grace and truth came from whom? Through whom? Jesus Christ. See, if Jesus is the embodiment of truth, all other would-be saviors are merely pretenders. Don't you agree with me? Yes. It doesn't matter how many followers they might have. It doesn't matter how sincere their followers are. If you belong to the kingdom with the king of kings, then Jesus alone will reign in your life. Jesus and Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life. Church, Jesus and Jesus alone is the lamb of God, is slain from the foundation of the world. Jesus and Jesus alone is the truth. All other men are liars. All other methods are lies. And they all lead down the broad road of destruction. They have their terminus in the fires of hell. But Jesus alone is the door into the narrow way that leads to life everlasting. Our world doesn't like the truth tonight. Sadly, as you go to the workplaces, in schools, even within your homes, the exclusivity of Jesus or the inclusivity of Jesus is going to cause a huge debate amongst people. I always tell in the missions that I'm involved in, if you go out and see, identifying God is not a problem. You can talk about God. People love it. The moment you go and say the identity of God, then the problem comes. But here it's very clear. The identity of God is still true. He is our Savior. So in conclusion, you can belong to either one of the kingdoms. Kingdom without a king or the kingdom with the king of kings. In the kingdom without the king, a set of rules you will have to shadow your guilt. You pick and choose. You go through the motions of religiosity, but you are still the king. Your eternal destiny is damnation. Or you belong to the kingdom with the king of kings, governed by two truths. The scripture, which is the truth, the savior, who is the truth. He reigns supremely in your life. 
He guides your life through his word, which is the truth. Your eternal destiny is to reign with the King of Kings. Church, the choice is yours. I very teasingly, I say this. Either you belong to this group or you, or you belong to this group. There's no half in between. It's like you can't say I'm half pregnant. Ladies, please forgive me for saying this. You're either this or you're not that. Choose for yourself today. Here's my last slide for you. Where do you belong? Where do you belong? Can I ask the worship team to come? And as they come, can I ask all of you to rise, please? I want you to take a moment to think about this. Where do I belong? Do I belong to the earthly kingdom? A kingdom without the king. Or do I belong to the kingdom with the king of kings? If you belong to the kingdom without the king, you are ruled by the certain laws. And we looked at that. If you belong to the kingdom with the king of kings, you are governed by two things. The scripture and the savior. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for challenging us this morning, Lord. We know that we can only belong to one of those. There's no way that we can put one feet on one and one foot on the other. And we ask you in Jesus' name. We may still be, be Christians from the time we were born. We might have been raised up in our, in our Christian homes. But unless we make the choice to come under the truth the truth of the word of God, the truth of the Savior. We belong to a kingdom without the king. If there's anyone amongst us that are convicted, I just cry out to you in Jesus' name that they will not allow this day to pass by without coming to the throne of grace. And those of us who claim to be belonging to the kingdom with the king of kings, Father, I pray that as we rely on the truth, the scripture and the savior, that we will continue to be sanctified with each passing day, and you'll be pleased with our lives. This we ask in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.